You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You know, for weeks now, we've been doing this NFL two-a-days thing. And yesterday we had the Cardinals as one of our two teams. And Kyler Murray didn't have the respect and the decency to just get the bag yesterday. <laughs> so when we had our Cardinals expert on, we could talk, what does it mean for the team? What do you think of the contract? Here we are today. Kyler Murray, $230.5 million deal. Now among the richest QBs, less guaranteed money than Deshaun Watson, but of higher annual average value. So second only behind Aaron Rodgers in terms of how much he'll make. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's talk about... Kyler Murray first and what it means for the cards before we expand to what this could mean for some other quarterbacks that are waiting on their deals. Fitz, I, I think the obvious thing here is something you and I have talked about, which is this is what you're paying a quarterback that you like. The goal is to have a no-doubt, no-brainer, Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes-type quarterback that no matter what the number is, somebody is telling you it's not enough, which you do recall – some folks saying about Patrick Mahomes at the time of his deal, this will eventually be too little. This will eventually be not enough for who he is. And we might already be there as he continues to drop down the list. This is just what you pay a great quarterback, whether or not they're the best in the league. Yeah, 100%. And the organization at some point has to look around and say, who do we have? What are our options? And what do we want to build around? So what I think the Cardinals have told us right here is that not only do they believe in Kyler Murray, but – they have to believe in Kyler Murray moving forward because the other alternative is to try all of this over. And for every Kyler Murray, there's a Baker Mayfield, right? So you don't know where that's going to go. The other side of it is I think the, the Cardinals have now officially told us very clearly that Cliff Kingsbury is on some sort of timer, some sort of watch, because even though he just got a new contract, much easier to get out of those. There's no salary cap with the coach. You've just told the coach, we believe that this quarterback is our future. Now you're also telling the coach, you better make the most of it because we're paying him too much money to miss the playoffs every year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I said this on Around the Horn today, but as a fan of a team that I hope to have a quarterback that people might accuse you of overpaying but is great, this is not that bad of a situation. Yes, there are some serious questions about Kyler Murray's ability down the stretch of the regular season. That's tied to his teammates. That's tied to Cliff Kingsbury. And certainly questions about his lack of playoff experience. He's only a couple years into the league, and he's already getting this incredible extension. The same time, that is the best problem to have for an NFL team. There are far bigger issues um, that include not having a quarterback at all than worrying about the contract you just gave one, at least in my opinion. And I think uh, you're right, by the way, a, a thousand percent. Every time somebody becomes sort of used to the, the normal becomes we've got really good quarterback play. I just look at him and say, look in the mirror. And remember when you didn't, because when you do, you'll overpay just to not suck. Right. Right. To have a chance. Mm -hmm. And again, we often, I will say, do not take accountability and don't, um, don't go back and, and reconcile our takes on these sort of contracts. There's guys, for instance, like Jared Goff that you could look at and say, at the time, I'm sure we said, you got to pay him. That's your guy. You got to pay him. You have no other choice. And now we'd say, I don't know, would that franchise have wanted to take a different route? Uh, I, it clearly worked out in, in the meantime. But um, Kirk Cousins is one. By the time you're all said and done as a Vikings front office member, how do you feel about how much money you've sunk into him and where that's gotten you as a team? Those are worthy conversations to have. In the moment, the conversation is who else would you get and would you for sure feel better off with them? 
And I don't look around and see an option where they are built to win and have committed to Kime and Kingsbury for a stretch where they wouldn't want to also be committed to a quarterback for that time. Yeah, a thousand percent. And again, I think what happens for so many fans is they look at the lifeline of the draft as this lottery that you're going to win every time. And I just don't believe that, especially mm-hmm. at the quarterback position. So right. when you start thinking about, well, if not Kyler, then what's the next best option? What have we seen right now? The NFL doesn't have a lot of quarterbacks that are sitting around that are attainable, that are val- a good value. Like that doesn't really exist. Uh, or you go into the draft and every time we go into the draft, you just don't know if you're getting the next superstar or if you're getting the next guy that that's going to set your franchise back for four or five years. Like Kyler Murray has shown enough of his ability that I feel like this was the right thing for the Cardinals to do. You, you double down on your guy, you make sure he's happy, and now you figure out how to win with the quarterback that you have. You answer the most important question in all the NFL. Do we have a quarterback we can win with? The Cardinals have said yes, and they've taken that piece of the checklist away. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Kyler Murray, five-year extension worth $230.5 million. Now, the big problem for the Cardinals will be that this is a player who tends, and a team, I'm not blaming it on him, a team that tends to have late-season swoons who will be missing DeAndre Hopkins for the first six games of the season. If they get off to a slow start, which statistically, without DeAndre Hopkins, this is a different team and a different quarterback. If they get off to a slow start, and they have a slow finish, you've got your first year with him under this massive deal not looking too good, and the pressure Mm. gets even bigger. But this also has put pressure on some other teams around the league, namely the Ravens. Lamar Jackson's sitting pretty right now, Fitz, as he watches these deals get done and these numbers go up. He's got a better track record, a better set of playoff games and experiences. He's got an MVP under his belt. And in almost every meaningful category, he's got better numbers. Yeah, so well, this it, is it, your floor. And I guess Deshaun is your ceiling? I don't know that there is a ceiling for Lamar if this is your floor. Because if the one yeah, but people have had is, well, yeah, but he hasn't looked great in the playoffs. Well, neither did Kyler Murray. And that didn't prevent him from getting paid, right? So, like, you got to look around and say the market just told you that they're going to let that happen. And if the market told you they're going to let that happen, then you've got to look at it and say, now what's the market for Lamar? Well, the, the market for Lamar's got to, got to be higher than Kyler Murray. The, you have a hard time convincing me that the market is lower than Deshaun Watson. So Lamar Jackson just made it much easier to justify, I want at least as much guaranteed money, if not more, and I want to be in these situations. I, I, I think he just took a tick up in the amount of money he's going to get paid. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. And then Justin Herbert, just looking around going, oh, we could do this three years in? Oh, mm-hmm. we, we, could, we could just hop ahead and get these extensions and learn how to archive our Instagram posts and pretend we're going to break up with our team and then get what we're looking for? Oh, th- what know. about Joe Burrow, too? Like, how uh, much is the Super yeah. Bowl run worth? My God, yep. Burrow's sitting back being like, all right, so the Super Bowl for the first time in this city since, that's at a zero, right. at a comma. And like- worth noting, by the way, Fitz, I think – no matter how many times you see these numbers, you're going to be aghast at them. You're going to talk about how it's a bad move. And then you're going to look around and try to figure out how many teams actually did destroy their future by making the wrong call here. Because if you're smart enough and if you play your cards right, like say the Rams, you can give the wrong guy a deal and you can find your way out of it into a Super Bowl win. Now that's more of the exception than it is the norm, 
but I think we've moved away a bit from the conversations we used to have, which is can you win if your quarterback takes up X percent of your sal- of your salary cap? Yeah, and I've talked to Stats and Info about this. The, the information is so split on, you know, there's no proof of concept that you pay your quarterback and you can't win. And I feel like what we have right now are a lot of people yelling about the contract value, sort of like people yell about the cost of, you know, milk in the grocery store. And you've got the person that every time they buy milk complains about how much milk costs now. And it's like, well, it doesn't really matter what it cost 15 years ago. This is what it costs now. That's sort of where I am with quarterback position. This is what the quarterback position now warrants when it comes to salary. you got a really good one. You're going to be in the $40 million range. Congratulations. Every team wants to have to figure out how to deal with that. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. Protect the stuff you love with renter's insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, the ESPYs were last night. So many great moments and an omission that a lot of people are talking about. We'll get to both of them coming up next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Curry. Proud husband of Aisha Curry. Proud son of Del Curry. Proud daddy of... The Boston Celtics. Okay. All right. Steph got in a couple of the digs that we expected (laughs) last night. He wasn't as smooth as some of the other former athletes that hosted, but he did a pretty good job. Always very likable. It was a little more of a disjointed show in terms of him not being up as much as maybe some of the other hosts because they crammed in humanitarian awards, other awards. It was all in one spot this year because of COVID and budget and everything else. So he did a fine job with what he was uh, with what he was given. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPYs were last night. And Fitz, I, I want to touch on the controversy around Aaliyah Boston being frustrated that she wasn't invited initially and then turning down ESPN's invitation when she was later extended the offer to be a part of the Title IX montage and, and attend. Um, but first, I do want to shine a spotlight on something that I thought was incredibly beautiful and something that we at ESPN and the ESPYs in particular do incredibly well, which is these big-scale um, tributes, honors, celebrations, um, and moments. And they did it with Larry Nassar's victims a couple years ago, 100-plus women on stage, one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. Last night, it was this Title IX essay featuring some of the most prominent and legendary female athletes of all time reading an essay. How do you measure 50 years in the wins, in the number of obstacles you've overcome, this distance still to go? How can 50 years feel like a world away and today all at the same time? 50 years ago, women took to the street, to the courthouse, to the courts to continue our fight for gender equality. We showed up and spoke up for Title IX, for legal protections, for access, for opportunity. The 37 words of Title IX changed the game, but it's just a start. Title IX was not initially about sports, but athletics became the playground of projections and ideas about equality. And through sports, we have measured progress for all women. Every medal, every record, every new league, reminders of our power, of our capability. But we have feasted on breadcrumbs for far too long. 50 years of making exquisite meals of morsels, 
out of the investment given to us. We celebrate the legislation, but let's be clear, the fact that it had to exist, that it still has to exist, is a damning indictment on our culture. We stand on the shoulders of giants, beautiful, broad shoulders, sculpted by the burdens they carried while cracking glass ceilings for us. Ceilings we continue to break so we can all dance amongst the shards. We refuse to be happy with the minimum because more than it has been does not mean it's where it should be. So we still fight for equal pay, for pregnancy protections, for resources. We still fight for access, for inclusion. We still fight for safety, to be believed, and we still fight to have control over our own bodies. To be honest, it's exhausting trying to convince the world of our ability. I mean, come on. Of our humanity. I mean, come on. Of our worth. I mean, really. Come on. You see it. We're not your charity. We're not your measuring stick for whatever version of masculinity. And we are certainly not the shield you use to deny college athletes equal pay or trans kids equal rights. I am an athlete. I am a coach. I am an agent. I am a journalist. I am the GM and the AD. I am a fan. I am a game changer. I am so much more than your limited expectations. I have been forged in fire, inheriting the flame from those torch bearers before me. You don't know my name yet, but you will. The essay was written by Amira Rose Davis. She's a professor and historian. She's one of the co-hosts of the Burn It All Down pod. And uh, Mickey Guyton, one of your fellow country music stars, Fitz, sang in and out of those pieces that we played. It was really powerful and super beautiful. They do a great job of those big scale events like that. Yeah, and I thought Mickey was an important selection in that because she's had an, a hell of a fight to be seen in country music. I mean, the thought that you can become a star as a black woman in country music is not something that everybody has always embraced as an opportunity. So Mickey, I thought, was a perfect representative for the genre in that uh, particular essay. I thought it was beautifully done, and she crushed it. I totally agree. And when we talked about the ESPYs on Around the Horn today, we addressed Aaliyah Boston, the Defensive Player of the Year, National Player of the Year, National Champion, who was one of the nominees for Female College Player of the Year. Jocelyn Allo, who we had on the show, incredible softball player, ended up winning the award and was part of that Title IX presentation, was flown out as a part of that. But many of the nominees uh, and 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 many, not just Aaliyah Boston, were not invited, and some of the categories were not aired on television, which includes that Women's College Athlete of the Year. A lot of people don't know that context. So when Aaliyah Boston, uh, her coach, Don Staley, tweeted out that it was wrong for her not to be flown out and, and originally invited, a lot of people jumped out and fits. I get that. Um, but I do want to provide the context that not all nominees are invited and not all categories are shown. MLB Player of the Year, NHL Player of the Year, NBA Player of the Year, Men's College Athlete of the Year, none of those were televised either. But that being said, part of the reason that Aaliyah Boston and Don Staley's comments 
went uh, viral the way they have and people have been frustrated is because there's a little bit of context to it. Last year, the award that she was nominated for was won by Paige Beckers. Paige spent some of her speech being an ally for black female basketball players and speaking to the fact that they don't get the same coverage, content, attention that their white counterparts do. And for the next year, one of the women up for that very same award not to be invited, it's just something to consider. It's not racially motivated. Plenty of the other nominees that weren't invited were white, but it's more so understanding that that context exists and that there are conversations around the treatment of white women basketball players versus black players means that you look ahead and you say, let's get out in front of this and make sure that we don't set ourselves up for criticism here and make sure that Aaliyah Boston is initially a part of this Title IX or is invited and made to feel special here because the larger conversations around women's sports that we don't have in favor of these big ones like this Title IX presentation or the big celebrations of a gold medal, the everyday conversations about players and storylines that we could be having would have informed so many more people about that issue and Paige being at the center of it and probably could have avoided some of the conflict around this. I think in these situations, context becomes so important. And you're so right in stressing that the context here is never in any of these award shows to leave somebody out. The question is, is anybody stepping in and saying, hey, have we thought of every possible angle on this? And if we thought you say getting out ahead of it, I think that's also well said. I mean, you've got to look at all of it and say in an award show, particularly this year where Title IX was going to be a focus, it means you have to put more focus on inclusion in everything that you do. And that means sometimes slowing down and asking a lot of tough questions of a lot of smart people to make sure that you're representing that as well as you possibly can. And, you know, another thing that happened last night is three of the high-profile women that were being honored or included, Eileen Gu, Megan Rapino, and Katie Ledecky, all of their names were not pronounced correctly. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to blame producers. They may very well have sat with the people presenting and said over and over, Rapino, Rapino, Rapino. And then that person got nervous or read off a card and said Rapino or Ledecky or Island Goo, whatever that is. Uh, but that is another thing. You just have to spend so much time caring about that because the message you're sending is it doesn't matter or it's not important. And everyday conversations are what makes it easier to do those things without so much intention required the night of. NFL two-a-days roll on. Coming up next, we're going to talk the Packers. It's Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. This is ESPN Radio's NFL Two-A-Days, the Green Bay Packers. Last year in the, the offseason of discontent, he said he was never playing here again. And now we're back to, I'm going to finish my career here. Ultimately, Devontae thought it was best for him and his family to be in Vegas. Um, so that was tough for sure. When the Green Bay Packers stepped on the field and Devontae Adams was out there, he had to do it all. Had to win every one-on-one. -on -one. Had to be the guy to make the huge play. I would have had Odell Beckham eating cheese curds. I would have called from the draft room saying, we're getting you on a plane and you're not leaving without a contract. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. It's two-a-days. You know that. And today, one of the teams we're going to get into are the Packers. So we'll do that with one of our favorite experts to hang out with, Jason Wildey. You can check him out on ESPN Wisconsin. Follow him on Twitter, at Jason Wildey. Uh, always appreciate the time, man. I, I, I just wonder, you know, since we, we're friends, right? So we're, I'm just going to throw it out here. How many touchdowns does Devonta Adams have before I'm allowed to just send you, like, these smirking face? Or, like, do I have to wait till the end of the year? Like, what, what are the rules on this, man? 
Well, first of all, uh, it's great to be with you, too. I'm always thrilled when you want me on. Secondly, Devontae is one of my favorite players I've ever covered. Uh, I have an unbelievable relationship with him. As happy as you are to have him on your team, I am sad to not have him on the team I cover. And I will smile with every touchdown catch he has, too. So uh, you can send him to me all you want, but I'll be happy for you and him every time he does it. Yeah, I'm changing okay. my tone on this right away, sir. Changing my tone because if they're tight, that means I can get a Devontae jersey. A jersey, oh, I'm not wow. going to talk anymore. More trash. Go ahead. Go ahead. Not I'll, I'll, at all I'll... surprising, that, that quick pivot <laughs> to the swag. That's how it always works for him. Well, I'm curious if your opinion changes at all when you think about your role in covering a Packers team that might be pretty darn tough to watch offensively as a result of his departure. Bill Barnwell's coming on the show a little later tonight to talk about his article looking at the playmakers on each team, ranking each team based on the weapons that they have around their quarterback. The Packers are 29th. 29th. This is a really great defense. This is a team with a Hall of Fame quarterback, and they've got no one for him to throw it to, hand it off to, you know, make, make good plays with. I mean, the yeah, running backs sir, are good, I, but they are. And and I read Bill's piece, and I, I don't I don't take umbrage with 29th. I mean, their wide receiver group. I think if you look at the numbers, Alan Lazard, who Aaron Rodgers is touting as a legit number one, and maybe he'll be proven right. Uh, his career high for yardage was 513 last year. Uh, I think he's 80th in the rankings. Uh, that Pro Football Focus does. So, yeah, as Bill points out in his piece, they got two really good running backs. There's no doubt about it. The defense, you know, all, our friend Mina Kimes, our mutual friend, I love her. She said that the Packers are the second-best defense in the league after the Bills. Uh, it certainly gave us plenty to talk to talk about on Wildey and Tausch, but I, I, I think that they are overhyped and underproven mm. at the moment. And so I'm not so sure about the defense. And then that offense, I mean, look, you don't get better. I talked to two people within the organization right after the trade, and they all said the obvious. You're not a better team without Devontae Adams on it. And that's, yeah, no kidding. But when you look at where they're at, they also lost MVS, Marquez Valdez-Scantling in free agency, who, who had some inconsistencies in his game, but he was a terrific down-the-field threat. Uh, Alan Lazard's productivity, what's it going to be like when, and this is one of my favorite Devontae moments, when you go into a game like Baltimore, and after the game, Devontae has screen-capped on his phone uh, the various coverages and showing them to us while we're doing a Zoom interview with him. And he's showing us, hey, see here, there's one, two, three guys covering me. They're not going to have anybody that's going to command that kind of attention. So I'm really eager to see what their passing game looks like, because not only are there questions at wide receiver, but remember, Robert Tunyon, who was a stud two years ago, blew out his ACL last year, and we don't know when he's going to be back. So it's Mercedes Lewis, it's Josiah DeGuara, it's Tyler Davis, a lot of unproven pass catchers, both at receiver and at tight end. I'll add another variable here, Jason. We're talking to Jason Wilde, ESPN Wisconsin. Uh, Adam Stenovich becomes the new offensive coordinator. What sort of flavor is he expected to bring to any of this? Yeah, Steno's a really bright guy. I did a piece for The Athletic kind of predicting that if they lost Nathaniel Hackett, he was going to be the guy, and it turned out to be the case because he is a rising star. I mean, he's 37 years old. He's younger than Rodgers. Uh, and not that long ago, I was covering him as a camp lineman 
uh, in 06 and 07. I mean, he really has done a great job. He's cobbled together the offensive line two years in a row when a bunch of injuries have happened. But that is another variable. For all these other questions about their offense, not only do they have a new coordinator, but obviously that means a new offensive line coach. And they basically let Aaron Rodgers hire the quarterback's coach and bring Tom Clements out of retirement at age 68. So I, the, the coaching dynamic is going to be different. Certainly the personnel is different. And let's not forget, too, that David Bakhtiari played all of 27 snaps last year, five-time All-Pro, didn't do anything other than rehab throughout the offseason. They're using a very careful tone when they're asked about him. We'll see if he practices on the very first day next Wednesday. But on top of that, Elton Jenkins tore his ACL on November 21st in Minnesota. I would think that he will start the season on the PUP after their experience with Bakhtiari's comeback. So add questions on the offensive line to all the other questions about their offense. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Jason Wildy of ESPN Wisconsin, co-host of Wildy and Tausch. You can follow him at Jason Wildy. Is it touch? It's Wildy and touch, isn't it? I can't. I just Tausch. 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 I got this one. Tausch. All right. I, so I thought you corrected me. This. You know what? It's it's touch or too short. What? I, anyway, there's always someone that I get wrong. <laughs> I can't believe I second guessed myself. Um, you are doing a lot of second guessing of this Packers team, and I can't believe I'm even asking you this. But you want to say something positive about them? Uh. Well, they get to play the Bears twice a year. Yeah, okay. Um, that's, that's a start. Oh, that's a start. No, no, come on. Uh, I mean. come on, come on. You, know, you know I love you, and I love Waddle and Sylvie and the whole crew down there. Look, I, here's the thing. They're, they're still going to be the best team in the division, although I am curious when you guys do your two-a-days and you talk about the Vikings, uh, what Kevin Seifert or, or whoever talks about them will say, because I have this sneaking suspicion that with another – Sean McVay, protege, coaching them, that maybe he'll get something different out of Kirk Cousins than a a coach that hated Kirk Cousins got out of him. Mm -hmm. So I think the Packers are still the best team in the division. I can be positive about that. I think their defense is going to be good. I just am not ready to say they're going to be top two. Uh, I think Aaron Rodgers remains at the peak of his powers. I just think that there are a lot of questions. The way I have described this team, and I, I don't want to compare them directly to 2010 because Aaron Rodgers isn't in his third year as a starter. He's in his 15th year as a starter. But in 2010, it took them a long time to get their act together. Offensively, for sure, and even defensively. But by the end of the season, and you remember this as a Bears fan, Sarah, by the end of the season, they were the team nobody wanted to play and nobody mm-hmm. wanted to see in the playoffs. And the Bears came to Lambeau Field on the last day of the season and didn't have anything to play for in terms of seeding, and they still busted their butts trying to keep the Packers out of the playoffs. And it proved to be smart because then the Packers went down to Soldier Field and won the NFC Championship game. This is a team that I think offensively is going to struggle early. They've got a challenging schedule. They turned down the bye week after London, after week five, so they don't have a bye until week 14. But after they get through that gauntlet, and they've got some challenging stretches. But as they start to figure themselves out offensively, they've got four regular season games after the bye and then into the playoffs. I think they could once again be that team that they're really rounding into form late in the year, and other teams that have had more success during the course of the season are saying, I I don't want to play them. We want to avoid them if we can in the postseason. 
You guys can listen to him on ESPN Wisconsin. Obviously, check out Wildy and Tausch and follow him on Twitter at Jason Wildy. Jason, always appreciate your time. No trash talking coming from me now. Just remember that, you know, at the end of the year, give me one of those Devontae. Oh, Lord. Have some respect for yourself. I got no respect, sir. I will will get to work on that. I do want to say one thing. There is a British kid uh, who's got at Jason Wildy as his Twitter handle, and he deals with enough vitriol when people don't like something I write or say. So oh, no. put a J in the middle of that Twitter handle if you have any reason to follow me, which you don't because I don't use that much Twitter anymore. But mm. that poor kid deals with more stuff because well, he has I the wrong name Well, I want to just point out that that is our producer. I'm just yeah, going to throw yeah. him directly under the bus because <laughs> I tweeted out your correct handle and then he wrote on the screen Jason Wilde <laughs> and then I read it like Anchorman. But I blame him because I trust if it's on the screen that it is correct. He just and wrote at, shoot on the screen with a bunch of... It is completely on me, Jason. Jason J. Wilde. W-I-L-D-E. Like uh, Olivia, his j- best friend. Jason J. Wilde, we appreciate you hanging out with us, my friend. Enjoy the season. Thanks so much, uh, as always, for the insight. All right. I love you guys. Take care. Be good. <laughs> Oh, he's the best. Uh, absolutely. All we did was get the Twitter handle wrong and the, the name of the show wrong. But other than that, I felt like we really nailed that interview. It was, totally. it was spot on. Uh, felt good about it. All right. NFL quarterbacks are getting paid. So were college coaches. The coach of the defending national championship champions got a bag today, <laughs> and it brings up a whole double standard. We'll break it down next. Payne and Fitz on ESPN Radio. College football can at times be polarizing, and fans have a lot of passion. But one of the opinions that many fans have vocalized about paying players is the destruction of college football and the ability of any sort of level playing field will absolutely go away if we allow this to happen. That entire theory was blown up today by one thing. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. And Georgia, we all knew that Kirby Smart was going to get paid. You win a national championship, turn the page, you get paid. I'm not surprised that Kirby Smart got a new deal. But the reports now that after going to that national championship, Georgia has agreed to pay Kirby Smart 10 years, $112.5 million, remembering that coaching contracts are fully guaranteed, says competitive balance is absolutely not an issue because everybody that sits there and says, oh, my God, how can we have competitive balance if we pay the athletes? Well, how can you have competitive balance if you're paying a coach $112.5 million (laughs) when every school can't do it? It's amazing how we pick and choose, Sarah, who we're comfortable getting paid. I am happy for Kirby Smart, but this tells us all that money rules college football and players deserve as much of that money as they can get. We've known that, right? I mean, again, it's similar to the contracts we're seeing for quarterbacks. There will almost always be sticker shock to imagine that this is what you get paid to coach college football. There will always be frustrations when we find out that the college football coach is the highest paid state employee in most states in America. There will always be inequity in the form of how much money the sport makes and how much ends up making it to the labor which has at least gotten better with NIL, but is still clearly lopsided in ways that we can't even begin to talk about. But at least with Kirby Smart, I'll say this. He has been on the right side of NIL at the beginning, right? 
And now a lot of people are taking his recent comments out of context when they see this contract of his. This is what he said that I do think is worth criticizing. He said that it's a reverse system, that you need to be around longer to earn the bigger deals and that young guys, freshmen, new recruits, just committed guys should not be making tons of money because at his age, at their age, he would not know what to do with it. He wouldn't work as hard, etc. Now, listen, it's a lot of money to give an 18-year-old, but guess who also gets that? 18-year-old musicians that make tons of money, 18-year-old scientists that discover something. If, if you are great at what you do, regardless of the age, and there is a massive amount of profit around it, you are owed yours. And it is then up to you to make good on it. And you're not going to get those NIL deals the next year if you suck. So you got to work hard and you got to keep playing and you got to make sure your team is still good enough to have those boosters and that money. So I think his paternalistic attitude toward them is what's frustrating me because he's a guy who hasn't been in the game that long and he is out making coaches that have been around for 15, 20 years and you could apply the same logic to him. Yeah, there's no doubt. Spain and Fitz, by the way, presented by Progressive Insurance. Get a business insurance quote online in as little as six months. Months. Six minutes. Six months would not be fast. Six <laughs> minutes is. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. You know, I, I've i had the chance to sit in with the fine bomb audience, a privilege, maybe we'll call it that, uh, a few times over the past few months. And last time I was hosting uh, some of the callers. And let me say very clearly, some, only some of the callers, but some of the callers on Feinbaum are just idiots. They, they are just mm -hmm. some of the dumbest people I've ever tried to talk to Oh, we to don't call people names. Life. We say they display behavior of an okay. idiot. Some, that's better said, <laughs> some of the callers on Feinbaum display the dumbest behavior I've ever had to deal with from people. And not to say all of them, but some repeatedly said, well, this, you know, paying athletes for name, image, likeness will destroy competitive balance because some schools will be able to pay more than other schools, to which my answer is that always has existed, right? You know, that you're a thousand percent right. Nobody's sitting here looking, for example, at a YouTube kid saying, oh my God, are, is YouTube paying that person millions of dollars? Right. They, they won't know how to pay their taxes, but right. that's well, they might criticize it. They might say that's dumb, shouldn't pay an influencer for that, shouldn't pay a Kardashian that, but we don't ask what are they going to do with it, how will they be spending it. And we don't try and put mechanisms in place to block it either. We just, you know, we might look at it and say, I can't believe somebody makes money doing that, but we don't try and stop that process from happening. And in my mind, when you see a coach get $11.25 million, you're really told two things. One, the schools that can spend the most will always be the best because they can have the best facilities. They can have the best name image likeness. They can have the biggest and most expensive coaching staffs that gives them the opportunity to continually be competitive. But the other thing it tells you, and I think this is really important. You mentioned the highest paid employee in the state, the highest paid educator at the University of Georgia, because that's what you are when you're a coach, is now Kirby Smart. And I do think that that's part of why I constantly hold coaches to a higher standard. I put them under a different microscope because at the end of the day, Kirby Smart's job is not just to make great football players. His job now is to represent the University of Georgia in everything that he does. And at $11.25 million, which I'm quite certain is more than entire departments are paying teachers at Georgia, <laughs> it's allowed to put a different emphasis on how he treats his players, what he asks of his players, how he represents the schools in the living room of those players. I, I think we have to look at these moments and say if coaches are going to be paid this much to win games, it's also okay to hold them accountable for what they say at the microphone and how they behave in everything they do because they are representing the state of Georgia, the University of Georgia, and every single teacher that works at that school. I mean, I completely agree. And I think the problem is, is that because of the entitlement of the men in these positions, 
They don't feel like they need to thoroughly think through what they're going to say and how it will be received. They don't really bother to consider the nuances of the NIL deals that they're talking about or the balance of power in their you know, conferences or in the sport in general. They just want to get out there what they need to shift things in their direction. So if you're frustrated and you're worried about, say, Tennessee or some other team and you decide that you want to rail against that, the whole system to try to get more boosters, if you start a fight publicly like we saw a month or so ago where you're clearly just trying to dig for booster money but you want to try to start fights with other coaches and teams about their investments to do so, there are lingering effects to that. And, you know, if you're Nick Saban, for instance, and you're going to compare college football to the NFL and talk about how professional leagues have vetted agents and a players union and more structure and NIL doesn't have that, then freaking fight for it. Because just a couple years ago, weren't you one of the guys that was like, we can't pay anybody, we can't let anybody get anything or else college football will be ruined forever. You know, I mean, it's just like, they only argue on behalf of the things that are self-serving and they get away with it and they get paid like Kirby Smart because of how much money they bring to a system that we're just now starting to address the very serious inequalities in. There's such a fine line between a college football coach at this point and a politician. Everything they say is half truth and all of it is for some greater good or evil depending on the approach that we have when we look at all of it like I keep looking at, at the job of what it is to, to be a college football coach and I wonder how much the landscape is changing so quickly that it's not even what guys could have imagined a generation ago right like if you're Kirby Smart your job is wildly different today than it was three years ago how you handle that's going to be what reflects the next generation the next chapter for your sport for your school but that's also a just a, a massive difference from what used to just be I'm recruiting and I'm coaching to now I'm recruiting, I'm coaching, and I'm representing everybody in every step of the way. And I'm not sure who we can trust through any of it. I'm not sure what college football is going to look like in a few years, but I am sure of this. If we're going to let coaches get rewarded at the absolute highest possible level while new buildings are built and new facilities go up, I hope players reap those same rewards as they continue their development in the process. NFL two-a-days roll on again. We're going to get to the Tennessee Titans next with the buddy of mine. Cannot wait to get, well, I don't know what I'm saying. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. <laughs> Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, is presented by Progressive Insurance. And if you've been listening over the course of the last few weeks, you know what we're doing. We go through two teams every day, two-a-days, even though they don't do those in the NFL anymore. We do them on ESPN Radio, and it just happens that today, one of those two-a-days involves, oh, I don't know, the Tennessee Titans. This is ESPN Radio's NFL Two-a-Days. The Tennessee Titans. A.J. Brown, the ruggedness and physical style is what Mike Vrabel likes. You always hate when you lose one of your best players, so it definitely upset him. Ryan Tannehill, who the team was clearly disappointed by. Tennessee dipped its toes into the Aaron Rodgers waters. It dipped its toes into the Deshaun Watson waters. And when it couldn't get a deal done, it turned back to Ryan Tannehill, but still drafted Malik Willis. I have no problems with Malik, and we're competing against each other. I don't think it's my job to mentor him. All right, so let's get a breakdown on everything you could possibly want to know about the Titans from my buddy, Buck Rising. You can check him out on 104.5 The Fan in Nashville. Follow him on Twitter, at Buck Rising. Buck, always appreciate you. I'm still sort of shooketh from what I saw on draft night when A.J. Brown was no longer a Tennessee Titan. I feel like it makes the team worse uh, going into this season. What am I missing? 
Uh, not a not a thing. I appreciate y'all having me. They are they are a worse football team without AJ Brown. There's no question. This is arguably the most talented wide receiver this franchise has ever had. It's not a long uh, and established history of talented wide receivers that have played for the Tennessee Titans. Our buddy Derek Mason uh, still being probably the greatest of them, and that's been a considerable amount of time ago. But yeah. They've, they've tried to patch this thing back together. They paid defense to uh, kind of go counterculture to the rest of the AFC in this NFL arms race that we've been experiencing over the last couple of months, but certainly not a better football team without Arthur Juan Brown. Let's talk Derrick Henry's foot. Give us an update on that, and then how optimistic are you he can return to form knowing what we know about history's uh, previous running backs with an injury or a drop-off in workload? Yeah, Mike Mike Tannier over at Football Outsiders, I'm sure you guys saw the piece, the, the downfall of Derrick Henry, basically, and the amount of carries that he's had over this uh, extended work, uh, work period for him since he took over the starting role from DeMarco Murray. The foot, though, uh, it's fine. It's, it's a broken foot. Derrick feels that everything is fine with it, the way that he's handling the weight distribution and, you know, six pieces of metal in it uh, from what we saw against the Bengals in January in the playoff game, where, of course, they had an utter collapse. Um, I expect a much closer version of Derrick Henry to the one that we are accustomed to seeing. I'm not, I'm not worried about him. Of all the things to worry about on this football team, Sarah, uh, Derrick Henry continues to be the thing that gives you probably the most confidence outside of that defensive line. So you mentioned things to worry about, and I'm not talking about fans for a second. Within the organization, you're around this organization all the time. Ryan Tannehill has become very polarizing for some in the media and some in Nashville. Where's the organization right now on their quarterback? You know, I mean, they were shopping around. I I heard the Schefter uh, clip that you guys played, and and certainly the Aaron Rodgers thing was a big conversation around here. Locally, uh, the Deshaun Watson stuff, even if they weren't ever going to be able to pull off a trade within the division, was something they explored. This, This is their job to try and find ways to better the football team, and Ryan Tannehill when last we saw him play a professional football game, was a complete and utter disaster. Now, I mean, to his credit, there was a lot of different things that he had to fight through with how just utterly uh, dismembered this roster was by the end of the season. An NFL record, 91 different players put on that uniform, and they still found a way to get the number one overall seed. But Ryan Tannehill's postseason record um, with Tennessee has been underwhelming because the run to the AFC title game in 2019, that was literally a run. It was Derrick Henry averaging almost 200 yards a game. It was crazy. Ryan Tannehill so far has not been able to get it done in the most important games since he's been here in Nashville. It's Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Buck Rising of 104 The Five, The Fan. 104.5 The Fan, just one the. At Buck Rising is where you can follow him. Uh, what are the upsides and downsides uh, in this defense? Uh, well, the defense, certainly on the upside, it's, it's that front. Jeffrey Simmons, a, a healthier version of Bud Dupree, Harold Landry, who they gave a long-term extension to this offseason, and, and Danico Autry, who in a year where they added a player like Julio Jones, who's certainly got name brand association, Danico Autry may have been the most important addition to this football team last year. That, by far and away, is their greatest asset. Uh, they went from 19 sacks the year that they, uh, in 2020, when they made the playoffs with one of the worst, tied for the worst uh, season total of sacks, 
for a team that still made the postseason. They had 43 last year, and they're going to they're going to continue to be able to get pressure and disrupt the quarterback. The, the biggest unknown on defense is is what they're going to do in the secondary to replace Jackrabbit Jenkins. Caleb Farley, the f- former number one uh, number, or first round pick, he has yet to kind of pay off for them in meaningful ways, dealing with a variety of injuries. Tore his ACL last year after coming through the draft process with a back deal. The secondary continues to be a bit of a question mark here, but as long I mean you guys know this, as long as you can pressure the quarterback, gives your secondary a little more time. All right, so when you talk about the defense, it's hard not to talk about Vrabel, the coach, Buck. So when you look at Vrabel, what kind of difference maker is Mike Vrabel as a head coach in your mind? Well, there's no question Mike's a plus on the sideline. He's on the competition committee. He understands the rules uh, probably as well, if not better, than the officials in certain moments. And, you know, he he kind of philosophically reminds me of Pete Carroll, just, you know, we know what they're going to do. They're going to run the ball. They're going to play defense. Now, at some point, there needs to be an evolution into a modern passing game and explosive plays were the thing that kind of killed them more often than not last year, and he cannot help them scheme up offensive plays the way that a lot of these head coaches who call their own plays on the offensive side of the football are able to do. But, my, I mean, Mike's the reigning coach of the year. Uh, yeah, however, however uh, often he wants to uh, get on us about being professional second-guessers, he has earned the benefit of the doubt in most circumstances, but he does need to find ways to get this team over the hump. Buck, what's the fan response to this team? Does it feel like people need them to, to, to make good on all the talent and all the promise? Does it feel like there's still some patience there? What's, uh, what's the general vibe? Uh, the general vibe has been outright disastrous since that playoff game, Sarah. They have been calling for Ryan Tannehill's head, for offensive coordinator Todd Downing's head. Uh, they, they, they've been wanting blood here for a couple of months in Tennessee. And it's, you know, rightfully so. This is a franchise that now, I mean, for the first time in the better part of 15 years, has legitimate expectations. You can't get them off your TV because they continue to make the playoffs. Weak division, though it might be. Um, but people expect them to be able to make good on all of the hype around them, certainly the hype here locally that's been building since Mike Brable got the job in 2018. But I'd, I'd be lying to you if I said tensions weren't at an all-time high, at least in the Vrabel-John Robinson uh, era of Titans football. All right, Buck, so by the end of the year, where does this team finish? You know, I mean, who they got protecting Matt Ryan on the blind side? Like, I like that upgrade for Indianapolis at quarterback, but I really do think that Tennessee, with what their best assets are, still have the be- the opportunity to win the division, which would make it three straight in the AFC South. It's it's not a great division, but to do that or to have the opportunity to do that and be favored to do so, that's um, pretty unprecedented territory for a franchise that's been down bad for a long, long time. You can follow him on Twitter at Buck Rising. Buck, when the Raiders come play the Titans, uh, drinks on you. Is that that? That's what's happening. You're buying their drink, or you get me tickets. Which is it going to be? Like, what am I getting Jeez. for free? At least? Buddy, I thought you've been telling me for years this is your city. I thought I was leaning on you. I'm just hanging oh, out in the press man. box, eating my brownies and free coffee. I, don't, I got this, nothing for you, Phil. Oh, look, look at that. Fine, I'm not going to see you then. I'll see you a different time. Now, follow him on Twitter at Buck Rising. Listen to him <laughs> 104.5 The Zone. Always appreciate you, my friend. Stay safe. Happy belated birthday, brother. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's Buck Rising getting us the Titans breakdown. Sarah, I'm just trying to make sure that I get free tickets to something. Like, that's just entrepreneurial. I'm keeping my costs low. That's what I do. I keep mm-hmm. my costs low on things. Mm-hmm. All I right. Just, I'm uh, waiting for you to find the, the cost of your integrity. No, I've got none. There's literally none. <laughs> I, we all know that. All right.
Uh, even you don't have to have integrity to know that it's a mistake putting mayo in your coffee. Apparently, somebody in charge of a massive offense in college football doesn't realize it. We'll explain it to you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. A lot of news going on today, and I know, obviously, we've gone through some of it, but it is uh, there, there's too much to get in in one show. So we're going to hammer through some of the headlines the way only this show can. It is time for some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Let's start with the big news of the day. Everybody's talking about Kyler Murray has agreed to a massive new contract, 230 and a half million dollar deal makes him one of the richest guaranteed or one of the richest quarterbacks in the NFL his annual average value second only to that of one Aaron Rodgers this is a huge contract extension for him and it takes away one of the most dramatic sort of clouds hanging over the Cardinals going into this season Sarah fun fact Fitz uh your baseball team the Oakland A's that you Mm -hmm. selected after an arduous and lengthy process uh yep they have a current payroll for the entire team who by the way drafted kyler murray in 2018 the a's did the a's current payroll for the entire team is 48.5 million uh kyler murray's new annual salary 46.1 million so he almost entails the entire salary for every member of the a's right now oh my god you know think about it if he had just gone to the a's god knows what team he'd play for now because they wouldn't keep him around to pay that level of salary but all kidding aside it does yet again set the quarterback market, which is what happens every single time we see a deal. So at this point, Lamar Jackson continues to salivate, as do Justin Herbert and, frankly, Joe Burrow, both sitting back there saying, wow, can we get to the $50 million? Like, We're going to see a $50 million a year quarterback in the next few years, Sarah, and that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. For those <laughs> quarterbacks and for yeah. the parents of quarterbacks. Exactly. For the families of those quarterbacks, it's remarkable. All right, let's get to the next story. Quickies. Miami, the University of Miami, they needed change, right? And change in the came in the form of a new head coach. Mario Cristobal comes over from Oregon, takes over. He's been really effusive in his praise and everything Miami has to offer college kids, uh, not to mention, he says, you know, one of the best cities in America, tied in closely with the NFL. But now he's made one change that may make the school even more appealing, retiring the turnover chain. It's gone, Sarah. Mm. Listen, I respect a new coach coming in and saying, this is going to be my tenure with the team. I'm going to set up some rules. I'm going to create a culture. I'm going to make this a new fresh start, especially when they've struggled recently. But I don't know if getting rid of this thing that has taken over and has become synonymous with the team ever since they started it in 2017, I don't know if getting rid of that is the move that I would make. Yeah, I I think – at some point, what are they replacing with, with it with becomes the question for me. Because right. everything right now for coaching is about getting opportunities with kids to show their personality and the personality that is distinct for your school. As much as I think the turnover chain was just ridiculous, at least it was signature to Miami. I like so that. I am interested to see what Cristobal does to replace that. Because I do yeah. think for these kids in, in modern culture that you're keeping up with the, the fact that everybody wants that platform, that shine, and that opportunity to do something cool. I agree. And if I were on the team, I think I would like it a lot, like in the moment and being a part of that and those kind of traditions, get guys hyped, create, you know, the connections and the bonds that you want on a team. Um, I'm sure some opponents who didn't like it are happy to see it gone. 
Um, which actually has me thinking, let's let's think about some other traditions we would like to see gone. I didn't mind the turnover chain, so I'm kind of sad. But, like, what's a tradition you'd be like, yes, please, let's get rid of that? Oh, having to hear Rocky Top every time throughout the course. Uh, of, like, mm-hmm. the, the, I think we need to be more selective with when we play certain fight songs for schools. Like, don't just give it to me every time there's a third down or a conversion. Make it something special, mm-hmm. at least limiting those things. Is there, there anything you that you— I'll give you is, that is one. I mean, as, as a, just a hater uh, who is full of hate, I don't really uh, need to hear <laughs> roll out the barrel at Packers games or that if you've ever been to a home Packers game in between plays, they play this thing that sounds kind of like if you had— a porn movie entirely scored by a polka band. No. It's got sort of a 70s vibe to it, and I'm I'm fine for that to go away forever. I, I just want to stick to polka, polka, polka. Uh, all right. it's <laughs> If you know, you know. All right, let's go to the next story. Quickies. Court, Kentucky quarterback Will Levis, uh, Levis sorry, has uh, found himself in the news in the past. Now he's in the news again, and it's always around some weird – food situation as sec media days going on will out here reminding everybody that he likes to put a few spoonfuls of mayo in his coffee sarah are we in for i tried this last year uh, because when we first heard about the news somebody convinced me to do it and the mayo stayed clumpy in in the in the coffee i don't know maybe i should have uh, maybe I should have mixed it up better. It was disgusting. Would you be in for trying mayo in your coffee? No, 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 no. As we've talked about before, the only mayo I will allow near me is the mayo that's gotten the glow up that now means it is referred to as aioli. There is oh. no better glow up than mayo suddenly becoming aioli and then not being gross anymore and being downright delicious. Chipotle aioli in. Absolutely 100% in. Regular mayo, the glob of white substance, hard pass phrasing shouldn't have used it no thank you on that also mayo in your coffee at some point we got to be done with this keto stuff and listen i know my menchies are going to be full of people telling me they've never been more swole and they've never been more trim and the fat is literally melting off their bodies but if the end result is that you think the healthiest way to be is to skip most fruits and vegetables in favor of mayo in your coffee that's not a lifestyle i can endorse Mayo's so disgusting that I don't like ranch because ranch is just glorified what? mayo. So like, I'm, yeah, I'm out on like unless it's really good, like it's got to be epic ranch or it's inedible to me. Like you give me ranch so, out of the bottle, inedible. I'm out. I, I mean, I feel like you're missing a lot of the joys in life by making declarative statements like mayo is ranch when they're not the same at all. But, but I also want to know. But the main ingredients in it. Yeah, like but the texture one? is the key, and ranch has a perfectly fine texture, and mayo does not. It's not, not even the, close. The and not, ranch the has little not bits. Close. Ranch has little bits of things in it that break up the globiness of the white goo, and it allows you to imagine that there's delicious herbs and spices and flavors in there. The gooey white glob of texture weirdness that is mayo is the, entirely the problem. No, the entire problem is that mayo tastes disgusting. Like, no, that's it's got a problem. tanginess that when you add it to other things is a real asset. It just oh, doesn't have disgusting. value on its own. It's okay, disgusting. also, should we blame Mike Golick Jr. for all of this and the Duke's Mayo Bowl? <laughs> because I feel like they got us all excited about putting mayo on unconventional items, and now here we are having it in our coffee. Look, unless Duke's calls me to be a part of the bowl, at which point we all know that I will... I will, you know what, myself out to basically anything. Other than yep. that, I'm not touching mail. Like, look, look, hear me now, Dukes. If I'm working for you, I'm <laughs> hear glad me now, to Dukes, be there. and pay me later. Pay me later. Yeah. <laughs> if, if it's for my career, I will be there and I will eat whatever mayo that you tell me to eat. But I, I, I can I tell am you that on a call with Dukes. 
tomorrow. I am going to get you to eat a bowl full of mayo just to show how much you can be bought and paid for. Oh, my God. I'm not even mad at it because you're a thousand percent right. That's what's going to happen. Let's go to the next story. Quickies. Uh, Cleveland Browns have signed Josh Rosen to a one-year deal. Some, Sarah, think that this is them hedging their bet and continuing protection, understanding that Deshaun Watson's suspension is uh, soon expected to be announced. So Josh Rosen goes yet again to another team, which is the story of his career. I want him to succeed. I have no good reason for it. I just feel sad for him. He had high expectations, seemed like a nice kid, very smart, well-rounded. I would love for him to find a landing spot where he can be an asset and he can you know, feel like he made good on all of his years of work. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything that you just said. And frankly, his ride has been so wild by for things that are not just his control, but out of his control, yeah. that it's hard not to root for him. All right, those were quickies. In the meantime, we need to set up a long conversation with one of the best experts here. Why is he one of the best? Because, I don't know, there's an article out now on ESPN.com giving all the praise to my beloved Raiders. We'll talk to the author of that article next, breaking down all the weapons in the NFL for the best team. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and uh, we continue to talk about all things NFL as we get closer and closer to camp. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now to talk about the playmakers, the guys around the quarterback that will make life easier for an NFL's offense and maybe the teams who couldn't find any of those. It's ESPN NFL writer Bill Barnwell, also the host of the Bill Barnwell podcast. His latest on .com, NFL wide receiver, tight end, running back rankings for all 32 teams in 2022. Before we even get to anything, Bill, I'm just going to say some of the stipulations you have written out so people get a little bit nicer in your menchies. You're only talking performance this season, the expectations for 2022. You do include injury history, holdouts, suspensions when you're weighing things. Wide receivers are more heavily weighted than running backs or tight ends. You do not talk about every single player in the league because you have a life and other things to do. And you do care about efficiency, how fast the team is, what the field position is that they're likely to get, etc. So with all that in mind, Let's just start with when you sat down to make this list. What team did you look at and find yourself most surprised when you started digging deep? Okay, so the team that's ranked pretty much at or near the top of this list every single year are the Kansas City Chiefs. And this doesn't include Patrick Mahomes, does not include Andy Reid, does not include the offensive line, but you had Tyreek Hill, you had Travis Kelsey. That's a good start. So obviously they've been very high up. 2020, they were number one. 2021, they were sixth. This year, 16th average weapons. Of course, they traded Tyree Kill, and yeah, they brought in Juju Smith-Schuster, but he has not been good in a couple years. Um, and then the other thing that I really found fascinating that I did not know before I did this, guys, was so Travis Kelsey is great. There, there's no questioning Travis Kelsey. He turns 33 this season, and I went back and looked. The last time a, a tight end, 33 or older, had a thousand yard season was 1965. Whoa. 50, nearly 50, or more than 50 years, almost 60 years. I can't even do math. That's how long ago it was. And I think Travis Kelsey is going to be the second guy to do it. But I think it tells you, hey, this guy is now getting into a point in his career where even the superstars, even your Tony Gonzalez's, your Antonio Gates, even those guys were falling off pretty dramatically. So for the Chiefs, it's so important that whether it's Sky Moore, whether it's Marquez Valdez-Scantling, whether it's Juju, one of those guys steps up because if it's Travis Kelce is not the guy he was in years past and you don't have Tyreek Hill, suddenly that's a major problem for this offense. 
Now, Bill, I would lo- I'll just be transparent with everybody. I may or may not have texted you today and said best article you've ever written, uh, mostly because <laughs> you have my beloved Raiders at two. We oh, all know what, this, a, but what a surprise. I, I know. I know. But I'm going to actually ask you from a different standpoint. The number one team on this is the Bengals. And you point out in your article that last year you didn't really know how to quantify Jamar Chase. Obviously, we saw how that worked out. What team, when you were looking at it this year, did you have that same level of Bengals hesitation that you think could vault to the top if things break right? Man, that's a good question. I feel like I wrote the best article I've ever written, and that might be the best question you have ever asked me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, you know what? I'll go with this one. I will go with the Detroit Lions, right? I mean, this is a team that on paper, they got a lot to work with. DeAndre Swift was really good when he was healthy last year. TJ Hawkinson was one of the best tight ends in football uh, in terms of his receiving, at least, in 2020. I'm on Ross St. Brown was like a top five receiver over the last six weeks of the season. If you picked up Amara St. Brown, you probably won your fantasy league. And now you add, on top of all that, Jamison Williams, who was a absolute dominant player at times in college, but then tore his ACL during the national title game in January. There's so many pieces there to work with. So to me, I think, you know, all those guys kind of have to break right a little bit. But by the end of the year, we could be looking at that core as maybe a top three, top four unit with maybe hopefully uh, either Jared Goff or an upgraded quarterback next year as well. It's Bill Barnwell talking to us about his column, looking at the playmakers on each NFL team. Who's given their QBs the most help? Who's setting up their offense for success? You've got the Packers at 29. As a Bears fan, I love to see it. Is this the Devontae Adams effect, or what else went into them? I mean, that's only two spots above the Bears, and the Bears aren't even making Mm -hmm. it. Uh, are they aren't even pretending to give Justin Fields any help? Well, that's the scary thing, right? I mean, not only would Darnell Mooney be the number one receiver for the Packers, like it wouldn't be close. Like Darnell Mooney would be like being drafted in the second round of fantasy drafts right now if he was a Packers player. It, it is really the worst wide receiver core in the league to me on paper when it comes to what the Packers have. After losing not only Devontae Adams, but also Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who, I mean, had his problems. I feel like he drops one long touchdown every single week. But, hey, he's getting open for long touchdowns. The Packers are starting over at wide receiver. And, hey, I mean, the running backs are great. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, a very good combo. Robert Tanyan coming back from a torn ACL. But, I mean, we sort of all figured, okay, even if you trade Devontae Adams, well, they're going to make a major addition to this receiving core. And, I mean, it's Sammy Watkins. It's a second-round pick, Christian Watson. You know, you kind of feel like someone's going to break through. Maybe it's Alan Lazard. But, there's no one on paper who scares you the way that there were, you know, even relative to the Bears with, with uh, Donald Mooney. So then why do we have these conversations about who's going to miss who more? Because you can't really, in my mind, make sense of the fact that the Packers plummet down this list without Devontae Adams and the Raiders fly up the list with him. It, it seems like that makes the equation of who needs who more this season pretty obvious as an answer. Like Devontae is not going to miss Aaron Rodgers. He's, he's got a quarterback. For sure. I mean, Dante Adams is in a much better situation in terms of production with the people around him than Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers will make it work. You know, I think we'll have some crazy 1,100-yard season from somebody. Someone's going to catch passes there. But for sure, I mean, Dante Adams is now inheriting a quarterback who we can have a whole other debate about Derek Carr, but to me, a, a top 10, top 12 guy, a very solid, above-average quarterback, whereas Aaron Rodgers has maybe the worst group of wide receivers in football. So, you know, absolutely. I mean, the, the rumors about that trade suggest the Packers were originally trying to get Darren Waller back, which I think would have made a lot more sense given what they ended up getting in return. So um, I, I have to admit, I mean, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, if I'm a Packers fan, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking we have a championship caliber back-to-back MVP-level quarterback. 
we couldn't have done more to get him a wide receiver this offseason when a bunch of wide receivers are getting traded anyway. I think it's going to be one of those things where we might look back and say, why did we think this was a good idea? And a great defense, right? It's not like they don't yeah. have all the other pieces. For for them to like look squarely in the face of their loudest criticism over the last few years and be like, double down, is a very interesting <laughs> choice. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, talking to our favorite NFL guy, Bill Barnwell. You have the Bengals number one. We know who those weapons are, so I'm more interested in asking a bigger picture question. How many things do you think had to go right last year for the Bengals to make the unexpected leap that they did? And is it more likely that they will stay near the top of the league because of all that talent we saw, or that that was a bit of a combination of great talent, great quarterback, and luck? I don't think they're going anywhere because, I mean, those guys are so young. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, still on rookie deals. Joe Mixon, a little older to be fair, Tyler Boyd approaching 30 now, I believe. But, I mean, those guys, the, the, the core guys, the reason they're number one those guys aren't going anywhere, you would figure, for several years to come. Now, granted, if I had told you Devontae Adams was going somewhere, you would have thought I was crazy, and that changed, so who knows? But I, I, on paper, I mean, they look like they're well-positioned, and I think, you know, it, it's so easy, right, to sit here and say, okay, well, if you want to fix your team, go from the worst team in football to a Super Bowl team in two years, well, get the first overall pick, draft a quarterback, take two wide receivers in the top two rounds, you'll be good, but those guys are special. I mean, T. Higgins, for a second-round pick, I think he's almost underrated because he has Jamar Chase in the same team. To me, he's like one of the four or five best young receivers in football. He just happens to be stuck next to either the number one or number two, depending on how you feel about Justin Jefferson. I mean, you know, these are really special players who have been transcendent beyond what you would have expected from even players drafted as highly as they have been over the past couple of years. So I think, you know, it's going to be so easy for teams to look at that formula and try and emulate it, but so hard to actually recreate it uh, if you don't have those specific guys coming out of school. Bill, with the news today uh, about Kyler Murray, I have to ask you about the 15th-ranked team on your list, the Arizona Cardinals. So they're 15th on your list, which says something about middle-of-the-pack expectations from their weapons. What are your expectations for Kyler? In your mind, was he worth the money that they've given him? I mean, I think the alternative is so scary. You know, for the Cardinals, a team that tried to draft Josh Rosen, and then after a year, said, oh, I don't want to do that anymore, and, and just bailed on him and drafted Kyler, you know, I think there's not a lot of confidence that they're going to get someone as good as Kyler Murray if they kind of start this process over again. You know, Cliff Kingsbury might be coaching for his job this year. I know Steve Kime just got an extension, but, I mean, Steve Kime's resume, if Kyler Murray doesn't work out, it's kind of, you know, certainly iffy to say the least. So, you know, I think this organization is invested in the idea that Kyler Murray is a superstar franchise quarterback. And, hey, we know Kyler Murray can be that guy for stretches, but has he done it for an entire NFL season? Mm, I'm not sure. And I think the concern for me here is not really the weapons, but the offensive line, which is one of the worst in football on paper. And that's before you figure injuries are going to hurt them. And they really have very little depth up front behind their starting five. So, you know, I think this offense has really worn down late in the season over the past few years, um, especially in 2020. They really were a mess in the second half of the year. Last year, of course, they were a disaster in that game against the Rams. They couldn't protect Kyler Murray, and Kyler Murray ended up making sloppy mistakes in the playoff game because of that. So, to me, I, I look at this team and I think, well, the weapons are fine. I mean, Marquis Brown is a good player. Um, Zach Ertz keeping him around, solid player. Getting James Conner back, you know, no, no issues there in terms of the weapons, but if you can't protect Kyler Murray, you can have all the weapons in the world. I don't think it's going to matter because unless you have truly transcendent players like a Jamar Chase, like a Joe Burrow, I don't know that Kyler Murray is good enough to sort of make up that difference over the course of an entire season. 
Bill Barnwell is the best. Go check out his column on .com, NFL wide receivers, tight end, running backs, all the playmakers that could be helping or hurting your favorite quarterback and your favorite team. Go check it out now. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, guys. When in doubt, read Bill Barnwell. It's Spain and Fitz. We got some questions we asked you, and we've got answers. Particularly, what sports traditions do you want to see end? You guys have some good ones. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Let me get you a moment from last night's ESPYs that we thought you might need to hear if you missed it. But first, we asked you some very important questions. (laughs) one of which was very clearly a joke, and yet many of you did not receive it that way. Kentucky quarterback Will Levis is putting mayo in his coffee and bringing back a viral moment that we all got a lot of joy out of, which was Mike Golick Jr. calling the Duke's mayo bowl and dunking Oreos into mayo and eating them. We sarcastically asked if Mike Golick Jr. and Duke's mayo bowl were to blame for Will Will Levis' habit. Uh, This was, again, a joke. Uh, and yet, Fitz, many people are very angry about how long Will Levis has been putting mayo in his coffee and the fact that we did not know that. The least shocking thing I have (laughs) ever heard in my life is that college football fans don't have a sense of humor. Like, that is just, (laughs) there is an element of, like, you know, we've we've talked about slow down. Like, there's an element of college football fans where it's like, y'all, slow down, take a deep breath. The whole world's not against you. Everything's fine, and it was a joke. But that's I suppose they'd have to be listening for you to have said, you know, well before that happened, people were already, you know, doing this, including me, on a show. I mean, that, for what it's worth, like we openly admitted I did this before the Duke's mail. But that's fine. It's yeah, fine. That's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, we also asked you for uh, some of the traditions in sport that you're ready to say goodbye to. This is because Miami will no longer have the turnover chain. Mario Cristobal said not the culture. Uh, he has just arrived and has done away with it. Some things you would like to see done away with. Uh, the Vikings horn. I don't Ooh. know. The Vikings are supposed to be a rival, but I don't know. There's something kind of cool about it. Uh, I agree with this one at David Petroff. National anthem prior to every game. Save it for international competition, national holiday, special events. I agree. That was grandfathered in from some specific events. It became an everyday thing, and I think it causes more problems than it does make sense for events taking place in America against other American teams. Uh, so I'm cool with that. Uh, the Wave... Uh, I have controversial wave views, which are that it is cheesy and sometimes lame. And yet, if you catch me mid-wave, I will participate. I will feel compelled to be a part of it. Yes. You have to participate in the wave. Even if you don't like it, you are obligated to stand up. We can't be savages. And one of the greatest movie scenes ever is when Harry Met Sally, when Billy Crystal is explaining to his friend that he is getting a divorce while still continuing to do the wave. Uh, he just feels required to keep <laughs> doing the wave while explaining that his wife has cheated on him. It's a great scene. Uh, I completely disagree with one of our favorite listeners, Angry Bears fan Dadman, who thinks that Club Dub must go. This is when the Chicago Bears staff turns the locker room into a club after a win with disco balls and streaming lights and loud music. Now, it might go anyway because you have to win to go to Club Dub, and the Bears won't be doing much of that. And Matt Nagy is gone, so it's probably not a Matt Eberflus thing. 
but I like celebrations. I think you should celebrate at every possible turn because you never know when it's going to be your last one. And I mean that both very darkly and also in a more micro sense of you might not win another game that season. So, uh, you know, enjoy the ones you do. Yeah, no, that that makes a ton of sense. And anything that brings joy into the process of watching the game, I'm 100% for it. Like, I, I will say that loudly, uh, but then yeah. it's still annoying for everybody else. Last couple college coaches making millions while complaining that players can earn an income. Any and all Major League Baseball unwritten rules agreed with that mm, yes, and yes. any version of the tomahawk chop. You guys nailed that question. I almost agree with all of you, except for Angry Bears fan Dadman. Uh, last night's ESPYs, among the many great moments, Dick Vitale, who was friends with Jimmy V, uh, some rec- some hearkening back to Jimmy V's speech as he gave his speech, winning the Jimmy V Award for Perseverance. Back in March 4th, 1993, I stood here and I introduced at Madison Square Garden at the very first ESPYs, my buddy Jimmy V. If you only had heard Jimmy V the night before, you would never, ever, ever believed or dreamt that he could stand there and give a speech. That's why I stood to the side, as John Hamm said. I stood there because I thought he would simply say thank you and sit down. I called him up that night. The night before at the rehearsal, I said, Jimmy, Jimmy, you can't believe what you're going to do tomorrow night. It's going to be unbelievable, better than I ever thought. I can barely hear his words. Dick, Dick, you think I give a, about an award? I want to, not going to see my Leanne, my Jamie, my Nicole, my daughters graduate. I'm not going to be able to see them or walk them down the aisle. It's over, man. I'm trying to pick his spirits up. Jimmy, you got to come, man. You got to come. We came on a plane the next day with Mike Krzyzewski, his wife, Mickey, Jimmy's wife, Pam. Mike tells me the next day they arrive, as they arrive in New York, he said, he's throwing up all over the place, sick as a dog. So now we're in the arena and he's sitting right up front and I try to go grab one of the production assistants and say, you know what, why don't you let him bring a mic to him? And he could sense something's going on. So he said, come over, man. So I come over, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm gonna make it easy for you. And Jimmy, some choice words. And he told Mike and I sitting there, just get me on that effing stage. Get me on that stage. We got him on that stage. I was mesmerized, blown away as he electrified the nation. And that speech, don't give up, don't ever give up, has created what we're here today. We have raised $300 million in his name. Think about that, $300 million. Think about, think about his legacy. His legacy is a true legacy. Oh, he cut the nets down and coaches dream of that. And they won that national championship. I've said, I've told people, like, there's three major factors that have made the V Foundation jump like they have to become such an incredible, incredible first-class foundation. Because every dollar that's donated goes for research. Because as a member of the board, I can tell you this, we have, ready for this, a $40 million, $40 million endowment that all the administrative costs are paid for so every dollar when I go out and beg, 
I'm not going to be on the streets begging the way I do and plead if money's going to pay this one, pay that one. It all goes where it should go to help people battling that dreaded disease. In honor of Dick Vitale's incredible spirit, the V Foundation for Cancer Research has a generous donor who is matching all donations up to a total of a million dollars. So go to v.org slash donate to give and learn more about the matching donation. Fitz, it was a long speech. He waved him off a couple times, just like Jimmy V did. Uh, and, uh, and, and Dick Vitale just absolutely crushed it with his really, truly heartfelt words, especially about his care and his work for uh, kids with cancer. Yeah, and you're right. A beautiful moment and really what the ESPYs are about. It touched your heart, and that's what they do so well every single year. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.